that video and I heard the word that many of our president's prayers have a great purpose committed to a higher cause. These are prayers that can transform a nation. These are prayers that say, God, may your kingdom come. These are prayers that we need to have, especially now in this season that our country is in. Kids, you're with us today. That's pretty great, right? You get to be with the adults here in big, big church. Yeah? I guess some head, see some heads nodding, the others, I don't know. Well, hey, uh, we are glad you are in here. And parents, if they get, you know, a little, uh, um, I don't know, jittery, anxious, uh, loud, what's the word? Uh, it happens. They're kids, and uh, we can drive on through that. Uh, uh, we are just thankful that they're here working our God together learning what that means and looks like. Um, if you did not get for your kids a coloring packet, we've got those in the back. Uh, if they run out of their first one and they need more, uh, they let my kids go through them like one page, one page, one page. Uh, you can go get more. There's more in the back. Uh, I'm glad that they're here. And kids, as we go through this sermon now, as we go through God's Word, I'm going to need some help. Are you guys going to leave me hanging or are you going to help me out? You guys going to help me? Are you with me? All right, I got a few of y'all. I'm going to need you. Otherwise, it's going to be awkward. It's going to be weird. All right. Okay, so, uh, wow. Powerful prayers from our nation's president on the 4th of July. We already told you about the 4th of July. That's in most years. It starts at Memorial Day and it goes through the 4th of July. That's what I try to get to some of the old books about um, our nation's heritage and some of the great war stories. And I'll watch those movies. And Nana will roll her eyes and I'll watch them. This is, this is great stuff. This is, I don't know what I'm fired up for, but um, I mean, this stuff motivates me. I love it. So I, partly in anticipation of this sermon, I, I grabbed a book uh, called The Greatest Generation. Maybe some of y'all are familiar with it. It's written by Tom Brokaw, a uh, reporter. And he had a, a historic man. He's been around the generation uh, that thrived in the World War II era out of the Great Depression through World War II, and was blown away by that. He wanted to share their stories and call them the greatest generation. Why would you do that? And he saw something special in these people, in this generation of people that was committed to self-assertion, hard work, courage, sacrifice. And so, I mean, this book is full of story after story of that. I see a couple quotes on there. They're from, on the, on the big screen, these are from some of the stories are mentioned in Brokaw's book. Uh, Marion R- Rivers Mitchell. Uh, she lived in Massachusetts. She worked in a factory. General plate divisions of metals. Uh, they made gold jewelry. That's what they did. They the, then the war happened. And uh, you know, they were told, you will now build military equipment. You, know, you, you would think that this would uh, um, not be good news. But you know, they embraced it. Uh, Marion noted... As she mentioned, the great cry that everyone had, she said, there's a full-blown spirit of patriotism in every heart. Another story came from Allison Eli. She was a, a, a graduate work in California. And then Pearl Harbor was attacked. Her parents said, you need to get out of there. You need to come back home to Oregon. She said, no, I'm going to stay right here. And she stayed to work at the shipyard. Why did she do that? She said, you had to do your Another story in here, um, 
maybe not quite as ordinary as some of these other stories, was from future President George Bush Sr. You know, he was a Navy pilot, and he was shot down uh, on a, a bombing run. Going to attack the Japanese. He was shot down um, and he was floating in, in this open sea, hostile territory. And he was asked, What were you thinking about while you were floating there? And he, re- he, you know, he responded, Oh, you know, the usual things, beating our country. And Brokaw, Brokaw is a reporter, and he, you know, initially he was like, Oh, come on. Uh, but he said, You know, this is, that's who Brokaw was. And he said, That's his character. And that was the character of many of these people. All of these people in these stories from what Brokaw caused the greatest generation. And what would these people have that sort of attitude and sense of commitment? Here's the group of Brokaw saw. He said, Brokaw noted, looking back, I can recall that grown ups all seem to have a sense of purpose that is evident. Even to someone as young as four, five, or six. Whatever, was, ever, whatever else was happening in our family or neighborhood, there was something greater connecting all of us. And now I hear There was something greater that connected them all. They saw something that gave them a great sense of purpose. It was this great sense of purpose that led ordinary people to do extraordinary things. Selflessly. Dedication, hard work, focus on the task, and great pride in doing so. You know, that's what I read in this book. When I read this book, as I see how all the stories connect together, God's got written a great story of His great purpose. And the more you get to know this book, you see, wow, God is on the move. He is doing something big, something important. And I have a place in the story. What is my role as part of his great global purpose? Do you know your role in God's great global purpose? So we're still in the Blueprints series. Justin has been walking us through uh, different elements of the Christian life and just breaking it down and and then going deep in that area. Uh, Last week we talked about what is the church. And we looked at our relationship as, a, as a people uh, and our relationship to our Savior. Um, this week, we're talking about why our mission is important. We're going to come back to why the church, why the church next week, or what is the church. Um, but today, why our mission is important. We talk a lot about missions here at the, at the church, especially here at Houston Church. We get commissioned the short term teams, um, we send teams periodically on missions, we support missionaries, we've got mission partners. Um, this is all over the world. Haiti, Mexico, Jordan, Philippines, here in the United States as well, Kansas City, uh, doing work in some marriage ministry. Uh, we've got mission partners all over the place. We talk about them. We love them. We believe that what they do is important, but why? Why do we really believe this? What's really behind that? Why are they so important? Or what, why is missions important? You know, a lot of times we get the answer back, well, it's to go and seek and save the lost. It's so that we can go and share the gospel, share the good news of Jesus Christ, um, so there can be repentance of sins, for salvation. That is absolutely part of it. But it's only a starting point. It's only a piece of the pie. It's not the full story. 
just assume that that gets people in the door to something bigger. So that's what we're going to look at today. Why are missions important? And you're going to be surprised to see that through most of the sermon, I'm actually not going to talk about missions much, because what missions are, missions are the vehicle. They're the vehicle by which God uses us to extend His global purpose. So what we're going to be talking about today mostly is God's global purpose, and then we'll kind of come back around to, okay, so mission, what does that mean? Often when we talk about missions, we start with the New Testament, you know? Missions is New Testament, right? Old Testament is Israel, but missions is New Testament. Um, they, we look at the Great Commission, right? I just thought I was going to do Matthew 28. I'm not going to do it. We'll make it. Mission starts much earlier because God's global purpose is from the very beginning. We're going to, I could look at the very beginning. There, there's a purpose given to Adam and Eve, even before sin entered the world. But we're not going to go there today. Not time. We're going to focus on a different passage. Genesis chapter 12, we're going to look at the story of Abraham. Abraham. You know a little bit about who he is. Oh, I'm about to embarrass myself to show you my slide. Come on, slide. There it is. The embarrassing part is I forgot to actually get the page numbers. That's like the page XX. But it's right there at the beginning of your Bible. Genesis chapter 12, 1 verses 3. If somebody you even a few Bible, feel free to shout it out. Uh, but Genesis chapter 12. What do we know about Abraham? We, know, we tell the story of Abraham all the time. Uh, Abraham came from a far off country. He didn't start off in Israel. He was the father of future Israel. He didn't start off there. He came way out from a place called Mesopotamia, which is like Turkey, Iraq. And God reached out to him. We're going to look when God reached out to him. Abraham didn't initially serve the one true God. His family, they worshiped false gods. They worshiped idols. But in the midst of that, God came and pulled him out of that and gave him a new direction. Okay? Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of 12 sons. We know a lot about Joseph in Egypt. And that's how Israel started. So through Egypt, through Abraham, that's where we get, that's where Israel came out of. I think we also know about Abraham because of a song, right? Is there a song? Kids, is there a song? Okay, I told you, don't leave me hanging, because if I'm the only one singing, it's going to be embarrassing. Are you guys going to sing this with me? All right, you want to know the song? All right. <clears throat> father Abraham had many sons, many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you. So let's all praise the Lord. And I'm cutting it off. I'm not going any further. That's it. I saw some of y'all ready for the motions. We can do that later, but not out here. All right. Thank you. Yeah, Father Abraham. Love that song. What does that mean? Father Abraham, one of his sons. So are we all. Uh, I sing that a lot. But what does it really mean? We're going to get back to that. All right. So, now that we've done that, that was fun. Let's get to the text. Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3. Let me pray again before we read that story. Almighty God, we thank you that you are really Two Bibles are the Net Translation. I love it. It's my favorite. I use it most of the time. Uh, do a few nuances in the translation where they make some choices. 
ESV I like much better in this case, so I'm going to read from the ESV today. Um, now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and in him who dishonors you, I will curse you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Alright, we can break down this passage. Um, there's only three verses. God says a lot to Abraham. There's a lot to Abraham. First, first of all, I mean, you know, the focus is the promise. You know, we think in terms of God's promise to Abraham, God's covenant. There's a promise in here that's central. But the promise begins with a command. Okay, there's a promise that's a great thing of God giving to Abraham, but it begins with a command. Abraham has to leave something behind and go to something to, be, to benefit from this promise, to receive this promise. What did Abraham have to leave behind? He knew his family, his homeland, right? Uh, everything that he knew, he would need comfort, security, dreams, plans, ambitions. He's leaving all that behind. And where was God sending him to? Now we get a couple chapters later, later God shows him. He did, God just says, I'm going to show you a land and you need to go. Well, that's scary, isn't it? I wouldn't like that. I'm in control. Okay, <laughs> I'm going to make this major life choice and know where I'm going. I need to know right now. And God just gets a hold of you and he says, Go. That's faith. This Christian life is faith. Um, radical trust. Um, that's what God called Abraham to do. And then in verse 2, we get to the promise. God, and this promise, um, God reveals his purpose through this promise. It says, And I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. All right, so what's part of this promise? And God's giving promising a lot here. He says, I will make you a great nation. Well, I already went through the family tree. Uh, Israel came out of the descendants of Israel. Later, God would come to Abraham and said, Your descendants will be as many as the stars in the sky. Anyone you know, try to count the stars in the sky? Wow. That's a great promise. It says, I will bless you. God will bless Abraham. You know, this is a word that we use a lot. Sometimes we use it correctly. Sometimes, sometimes it's kind of watered down. It seems kind of deep, kind of soft. But sometimes people mean that authentically, but a lot of times that's, uh, um, well, yeah. Uh, but it gets used in a lot of different ways, is my point. When God says, I will bless you, there is nothing weak about this. This is a promise of unmerited favor, of radical love from God, an incredible gift. God says, I will bless you. That is a powerful act of love. And He says, I will make your name great. Well, that's nice. We'd like a great name. Well, in the ancient Near East, your name, I mean, that was significant. For God to say, I will make your name great, this is a powerful promise as well. Just one chapter before, Genesis chapter 11, you've got the people of God who are told, be fruitful and multiply through the earth. That was what God told the people, right? Be fruitful and multiply. They said, uh-uh, we're going to come together, and we, on our own efforts, are going to make our name great by making this great power of Babylon. They were going to try to make their, great, their name great on their own efforts for themselves, self-sufficiency, and God says, that's not my way. Abraham, I will make your name great as a gift. You know, because of your relationships and needs, 
that you may experience. So that's the promise. And why did I choose ESV? The net has this as well. But a lot of the other translations miss this. Uh, what we see here in the, the uh, ESV, it says, so that you will be blessed. You will be a blessing. A lot of the other translations will say, and you will be a blessing. Like this is state. Like it'll happen. No, 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 no. Like in the, when the Hebrew writer wrote this, it was actually in the form of a command, like be a blessing. Okay? There was a strong sense of purpose here. You are blessed so that you will be a blessing. This purpose statement, like you must be a blessing, is tied to the promise. They go hand in hand. Um, I mean, you can expect guaranteed result. You will be a blessing as a result of you being blessed. That's a deal. We don't receive the blessing and we just hold on to ourselves, keep it to ourselves. Abraham wasn't supposed to just own, enjoy his own empire. Yay, my name is great. I'm a great nation. Let's have our own internal parties. Just, no, no, no. And doing this so you will be a blessing. It's a very outward focused promise that we see to Abraham. A blessing to him. You see this in verse 3. I read this at the beginning time before I actually picked up on this. Because you know how it's about missions is the New Testament, right? That Old Testament. It says, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. All the families of the earth shall be blessed. Israel was to be a blessing to all the families of the earth, to the world, to the nations, to all peoples. Sounds a lot like the Great Commission that we know from the New Testament. We see God's global purpose all the way back Genesis chapter 12 to Abraham. We will be blessed. The blessing was indeed passed on to Abraham and his descendants. Can't get into all the stories, but there's great stories through Genesis of how, because of Israel, others were blessed, or they were cursed if they didn't respond well to Israel. Um, the story of Joseph is a great example. Joseph goes into slavery by his brothers into Egypt. The rest of Israel comes to Egypt to escape famine. So they're in Egypt because of this famine. famine, And they're, they are a blessing to the Egyptians who receive them. Great story there. Um, so we see God's promise, promises initially fulfilled to Abraham. So what does this have to do with us, right? We're talking about Abraham and Israel, right? And we're the church. Completely different. New Testament, Old Testament, Let's, uh, let's look a little further. Abraham's talked about in the New Testament quite a bit. Go look at Galatians chapter 3. We're going to see God's purpose continues through his church. Galatians chapter 3, another big old XX of, I know this one, page 1313 in your uh, few Bibles if you have one of them. Galatians chapter 3. So this is written by Paul. Paul's writing a letter to Christians in the early church, and he's very concerned about they, uh, they were bringing too focused on law and you, know, you must do things to earn your salvation and preach grace. And he goes back to Father Abraham. And here's what, it, here's what he says. Let's look first at us. We're going to go to the end of chapter 3 and then we'll come back to the beginning. Verse 26. For in Christ Jesus, for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for all of you are one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to the promise. Did you catch that? Did you catch that? 
if you belong to Christ, you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to the promise. The promise given to Abraham is passed on to us. And if Abraham's promise also had a purpose, you are blessed to be a blessing, and we are heirs of the promise, therefore, we are heirs of that. You are commissioned to be a blessing part of it as well. Go hand in hand. You can't separate the promise. You are blessed to be a blessing. It makes sense now. Father Abraham. We are all children of Abraham. The promise God gave to Abraham passed to us. Descendants of Abraham because of Jesus. Kids, okay, you can help me again? One more time. I need you. You guys with me? All right, I got one. All right. Father Abraham of many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you. So let's all praise the Lord. Still stopping. Still stopping there. All right. Let's look at the beginning of Galatians chapter 3. It says, um, let's see. I've got many questions. In verse 6, just as Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness, so then understand that those who believe are the sons of Abraham. Yes. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, proclaimed the gospel to Abraham ahead of time, saying, All the nations will be blessed in you. Proclaimed the what to Abraham? The gospel. Proclaimed the gospel to Abraham. Ah, uh-uh, the gospel is New Testament, forgiveness of sins. Uh, you know, Romans, right? John 3.16, maybe not a promise to Abraham. This is uh, the gospel is the good news of how God is making all things new. It begins, starts in the garden, it moves, climaxes through Jesus Christ. I mean, we focus on what Jesus did. That's the nuts and bolts of how to describe the gospel. Um, people who are lost without a Savior. But I mean, the good news is the full picture of what God's doing. God's great purpose expressed in a promise to Abraham. Let's go back to that passage. Looking at this in New Testament eyes, knowing that we are sons and daughters of Abraham, descendants of Abraham because of Jesus, how can we read this promise in light of our Christian identity? Uh, now the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Well, the Christian life begins by leaving behind something to pursue Jesus. We need to leave behind our sin, our pride, our self-sufficiency, our control, wanting to do it our way in order to follow Jesus. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And when we left behind our old life to turn to and follow Jesus, we receive God's grace, unmerited favor, the love of God within His family. We have been blessed. And we've been blessed in order to be a blessing. Abraham was called to be a blessing to the peoples of the earth. And we are called in the same way to go we are on mission. We serve a relational, missional God who sends. We are His people. We are part of His DNA. DNA. We must go. And this is all leading up to something new. We're going to be in Revelation. Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 through 10. Revelation chapter 7. So this is an image of the last days. So in the future, we're looking out and God's promising this is what He's going to do. After these things, I looked and here was an enormous crowd that no one could count 
made up of persons from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, dressed in long white robes and with palm branches in their hands. They were shouting out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, to the one seated on the throne, and to the Lamb. This is God's promise. God's promise will be fulfilled. God has said, you will, go, you will be a blessing to all nations. And we see this here. The promise is fulfilled. This is the image. How do we worship in those days? From every nation, tribe, people, and language. All together. That's a beautiful picture. And what were they doing? They were worshiping God. So here's one of the key points. I, I, I talked about missions is a vehicle for God's global purpose. God's global purpose is not missions. There will come a day, when this happens, Revelation 7, 9 through 10, we're not going to talk about being a missionary. We're not going to talk about going and sending. We're not going to talk about sharing the gospel. Why? Because it's been achieved. What God promised, what God sent us out for, it is finished, it is done. And instead, we worship. God's global purpose is to gather together, worshiping from all nations. There's a classic book on missions, Let the Nations Be Glad, by John Piper like to read from that, to share from that, from his book. The most crucial issue in missions is the centrality of God in the life of the church. Where people are not stunned by the greatness of God, how can they be sent with the leading message, great is the Lord, is greatly to be praised, is to be feared above all gods? And it goes on. All of history is moving towards one great goal, the white-hot worship of God and His Son among all of the earth. Missions is not that goal. It is the means. And for that reason, it is the second greatest human activity. Second greatest human activity. Missions exist because worship is not. That doesn't mean missions is really important. That means it's very important. Missions is the vehicle God uses to accomplish His purpose. We look at a couple of so we get back to the New Testament, what it had to say about missions. Here's two classic passages from Gospel of Matthew. Chapter 24. Jesus is speaking to his disciples. He says, before the resurrection, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole inhabited earth as a testimony to all the nations. And then the end will come. Promise. This is God's plan. God has a great global purpose. It's his plan. He is sovereign. It will happen. The gospel will be preached. Matthew 28, the Great Commission. Jesus, after the resurrection, speaks to his followers. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always, the very end of the age. So who is to accomplish God's purpose? His church, his people. We are the vehicle. His, God's people on mission are the vehicle to accomplish His purpose, to accomplish God's plan. God's people accomplish God's plan. He uses us, He sends us, and we must go. What's your practice? What does this mean? I'm telling you guys, pack your stuff, you're all heading off to Africa, they're going to leave the huts, and yeah, maybe, some of you, I don't know. Uh, but yeah. Um, how do we do this? We've been blessed to be blessed. It starts with a missional attitude. I'll tell you what, if we could just transform our you know, 
the surrounding towns, that would be awesome. And that would be on mission to the glory of God. That would be beautiful. We would start looking out. I think our tendency is to look in. Stay within our huddles. Stay within our friends. Um, we're just going to keep to ourselves. That's, I do it. It's normal. It's natural. But are we looking out and seeing the people that we need to give the good news of Jesus Christ in our community? Are we making our, ourselves accessible to people? You have to, have, you have to have enough margin in your life to be around people who need Jesus. Okay, I love every, I've said this in a few sermons. I think I love everything we do here at the church, but if it gets to be so much that you're not around lost people who need to know about Jesus, we're missing the point. Love your neighbor. Tell you what, just loving your neighbor goes a long way. What's the simplest thing that you can do? Just loving on people around you. It's a bridge to the gospel. Engage your community. Where do you have access? Schools, sports teams. Golf clubs, whatever, local restaurants, where do you have access? Spend time there. And, uh, and think about how you're going to turn the corner on about Jesus. So that's number one, have a missional attitude. Get involved locally. We've got compassionate partners locally. Lessons Baskets, we work with a lot locally. Eastgate Foundation, uh, Lori Rush, you know, she's going into um, people that are struggling with cancer and, and prisons. She's got a, a 5K coming in October. Be a part of that. Get involved locally. Redland College, my goodness, that's a strategic mission for We don't have to go to the nations anymore to share the gospel of the nations. The nations are coming. I remember, the Redland, yes, there are international students there. And students from just all over the state and Florida. Uh, Justin and I have been doing Monday lunch, and many of you have helped make meals and shared that experience with us and just been blessing for those who have done that. Um, each person has been part of that very You don't have to make a full meal. Love it can, but just come and be on the street. Tell you what, I want to continue to see our church increase in how we're loving on the students at Redland. Look at this. 
excitement in, in these images is people are handing off the torch, and, and they're going with the torch because they realize they're a part of something great. You know, you watch in this video, you see ordinary people who recognize that they're a part of it, something extraordinary. And so they're doing it with a passion, and, 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 and they're focused on it. Um, and when you watch the opening ceremony, you, you see how the torch has finally arrived. I mean, you could, have, you could have had a ceremony and just kind of lit a torch, but why would they do all this? Why would they go through the efforts of days and days and days passing the torch? Because the Olympics is about a movement, a gathering of people around this moment, a gathering of people from all over the world. When you watch this opening ceremony, you see the excitement, and the torch has finally arrived, and they just celebrate. And that's a cool c- ceremony, but it's nothing like like what we have in store for us. You see, you are blessed to be a blessing. And as you're a blessing, and the blessing gets extended throughout the whole world, we've got something even greater in the opening of the ceremony of the Olympics. God's gathering us to worship Him. People from all nations, all languages, all tribes. I'm going to need a few volunteers from the kids to help me out here. We're going to kind of do our closing over there. All right, Garrett, why don't you come up? Let's see. Right here. Why don't you come up? I need a girl. i got two guys. Hey, we're right here. All right. Yes. All right, guys, why don't you stand over here? Let me give you each one. I've got three. But, uh, John David and Garrett, why don't you, why don't you can I give this to the girl? John David, I've got a, a paper one for you, okay? I need you up here, though, okay? Why don't the four of y'all face, face the crowd? John David, I'll get you paper one in a minute. All right, guys, why don't you hold up your torch? You've been handed something significant in this torch, right? All right, it's just a plastic blow-up torch. But you know what? God loves you, and He has shared His love with you, and He wants you to share it with others. And so when you watch the Olympics and you go home with your torches, and, and you think about the torch that you've been handed, you think, how can I share the love of God with others? At home, at school, my friends. And that's part of who we are. God has given us a great purpose to do incredible things for Him. You think you can do incredible things for God? You can by spirit, and if you're willing to just love people. So when we close the service in a minute, I'm going to ask you to hold your torches again. I've got volunteers for for the kids who didn't come up. If if you guys hand out, uh, we got paper torches for the rest of the kids. We're going to pass these through the aisles. Why don't you guys go back to your seats? What we're doing here is uh, everyone everyone's getting to touch the torch as you pass pass to the kids. And uh, uh, you got something to take home. I don't know how long these paper torches are going to last, but uh, you know what? The Olympics are coming soon, and as you walk and you see that torch come, how have you been blessed to be a blessing? What is your role here locally? Who has God put in your path to love on? Because we are a people on a mission. That's who we are. God has sent us. We need to go. Maybe going means go. Maybe going just means go out the front door. It's the important task. Uh, let's throw the last slide up. I'm going to invite you guys to uh, stand with me. Kids, do you all have a torch? Big kids? Big kids can have torches too. We got extras. There's no shame. If you have a torch, please hold it high. We've got a great God, right? 
we got our almighty loving God, and He has blessed us. He loves us so much. And that blessing is not something to be held on to. We need to take our torches and hang it off. And when we do that, God is doing something incredible, something incredible globally, worldwide, where one day in paradise we will get to worship God together with brothers and sisters in time. And it's going to be an incredible ceremony, incredible scene, unlike the Olympics or anything you will see here on the So think about that. You watch the Olympics and you take these torches, all right, guys? Let me pray for us. Almighty God, thank you, lovely Father, for your love for us. You have blessed us, and we are to be a blessing. Give us that strength and courage and wisdom to go forth and be a blessing for your people.